welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, I chat with Pam Wright from Soka Outdoors. And I just have to start by saying this. Pam is really, really cool. So Pam is a guide in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, which is a really beautiful wilderness here in northern Minnesota. Uh, But she also does a ton of other cool outdoor stuff, Uh, everything from wilderness first aid to um, orienteering and some land navigation work. Really, really interesting person. And she builds on all of that, or she builds all of that on her history as a mom, taking her kids into the Boundary Waters and living a a life in the outdoors. So she's got a ton of wisdom, a ton of knowledge. And today she shares that with us, especially as it relates to the Boundary Waters canoe area and how we can get our kids and our families out uh, into this beautiful, pristine wilderness here up north. Now, before we start, just a few housekeeping things. If you could do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast, it would help me a ton. And if at the end you like it, please give it a good review. It helps me out a ton. It helps raise the podcast in the rankings uh, and then you know, ultimately helps get the word out about uh, what we're doing over here, which I think is really cool. And finally, if you do anything in the outdoors, you know that safety is a huge concern, right? Especially when you're out with kids. And, you know, just recently I've been in some pretty scary situations and thankfully, because I had some, some gear and some knowledge, those scary situations didn't turn into dangerous ones. And so what I've done for you is I've put together a list of essential gear that I take with me into the outdoors every time I go out, whether I'm with my kids, with my wife, or just by myself. And my hope is that that gives you sort of an extra level of preparedness and, um, you know, hopefully peace of mind as you go out into the woods uh, with your kids and with your family. So if you'd like that, you can get that at wilderoutdooracademy.com slash safety. Again, that's wilderoutdooracademy.com slash safety. Hi, everyone. Uh, today I have with me Pam Wright from Soka Outdoors. And Pam does a ton of great stuff that she's going to tell you about uh, in a bit. But I have to tell you that I came across Pam uh, in part because our family is planning a trip to the Boundary Waters and her resources have been like so, so very helpful. So Pam, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to connect with your listeners. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but like, tell listeners a little bit about Soka Outdoors and what you do. Yeah. So, um, I started Soka Outdoors, um, a couple of years ago, um, as a desire to, um, um, encourage more people outdoors. Um, it was kind of a, a lifelong dream of, um, could I turn it into a guide business? Um, could I share what I've learned over 25 years of experiencing the outdoors and in particular the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, which I love. Um, but I like to do a lot of things outdoors. I'm always trying to get others outdoors, encourage them, and anybody I can talk to, um, talk into going on a trip with me, I try. Um, and so um, I named it Soka. Um, and Soka is Swedish for to seek. And it's a nod to my Scandinavian heritage. And um, I like to say that I'm um, seeking the beauty and seeking where the beauty came from. 
And so um, I work as a seasonal guide in northern Minnesota. I take people on uh, winter camping trips and also on summer canoe trips. Um, I'm a volunteer outdoor leader for a women's group here where I live in Wisconsin. And I've been doing that for 10 years. And then I also recently uh, got certified to teach wilderness first aid, uh, CPR, and AED. So I want to um, encourage people to um, learn more of those skills. And, you know, that that's what you're doing today. But I think what I, I really love and I'm, I'm excited to talk about is that you said, can I turn what I've been doing for, what was it, 20 years into yes. a business? All right. So what yes. were you doing for 20 years? <laughs> A lot of things. Um, raising kids. Um, we have three kids, and um, and so that was a big focus of my life. Um, I am a graphic designer by trade, so freelance graphic design work I've done for quite a while. Um, and then um, just exploring wherever I can. And so that's what I've been doing for 20 years. And then um, just trying to build my skill set and learn more and um, do hard things and challenge myself. Mm -hmm. So when did, when did you start taking kids in the boundary watch? And I should say like a lot of your, your content that I find so very helpful is that you are very much focused on, on families, right? Helping, helping folks really get out, um, you know, as a group. And so when did you, when did you start taking your kids out? Yeah, so we started taking our kids outdoors as babies, and we kind of joke, but it's semi-serious that when we got married, um, part of our unwritten vows were that we would include our kids in all of the outdoor things that we love to do, and that we wouldn't stop it. We might modify some things or also include our own adventures outside of our children, um, but that they would always be included in our adventures, and so... That was 30 years ago, and um, our kids started uh, going to the Boundary Waters with us when they were toddlers. Um, our youngest was probably two when she started, and so we just thought, well, let's figure this out. Let's start taking the kids, and so, and so they started coming along too. Mm -hmm. well, I, well, and what I love about it is you just said, like, let's just figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah. um, because I, I think anybody, you know, who's going to do almost anything in the outdoors, whether it's yourself or, or with kids, you just, you do have to take that mindset. Um, and, you know, I'm really struck by the fact that your, your daughter was two, right? We're, we're in a situation right now where we're going to bring our youngest who's three and she will likely be four by the time we, we take her, um, you know, and, and there, there is a lot of concern around safety, right? And I think there, there might even be a little bit of hesitation to even go because of that. And I'm curious for you, when you first started, what were some of the main concerns you had as a parent and did like, how did that play out? Sure. So when we started, we didn't have a lot of the resources that I think um, listeners will have like internet and stuff like that. I was still pulling out looks you know, like books from the library. And we didn't know a lot of people that had um, done the Boundary Waters with their kids. So we naturally did a lot of camping, a lot of car camping with our kids. 
Um, sometimes it was successful. Sometimes it was a little bumpy. Sometimes we even had to pack everything up and go home. Um, but as we started to include our kids, uh, some of the safety measures that we took were thinking about like times of year that we went. So we started going in August and September, um, partially because August is pretty warm and the bug pressure is less. So there's little to no bugs during those months, but people can still swim. You don't really have to worry about hypothermia, things like that. Um, and so considering the season that you're going in and the weather conditions that you might encounter are important considerations. Um, there can be storms and rain in August, but in comparison to cold, it's a lot easier to navigate with kids. Um, we eventually started um, carrying an inReach Garmin, which is a satellite communicator. Um, those can be rented from outfitters in northern Minnesota, which is really nice because they're not super cheap. And if you don't want to invest in that technology, it's something you can rent. And my particular satellite um, communicator pairs with my phone. So essentially, I can text through my phone. And that is another layer of safety. Um, I took Wilderness First Aid for the first time probably 15 years ago um, because I wanted to sort of understand how to assess risks. And a lot of people think when they take Wilderness First Aid, they're going to learn the tools to take care of an emergency event in the wilderness. And that is a portion of it. But what I really find valuable is you start to look at um, the risks or the potential challenges you could have um, during your adventure a little bit differently. So in a sense, I call it preventative um, skills. And um, and so you go into it with more confidence and you make better, safer decisions because you kind of know what to expect or could or could have happen, I guess. And then um, the other safety measures is um, a really simple one is you're leaving an itinerary home at home with somebody that you know. Um, so in our case, it was usually grandparents. And so they knew where we were going to go in the Boundary Waters, uh, generally what lakes we were going to be on, um, what color our tents and some of our gear was, um, as well as I gave them phone numbers for like the local sheriff's office, emergency responders, that sort of thing. So that if for some reason we didn't come, come out on the time that we were supposed to, that they would then contact authorities. Because for a long time, we didn't carry a, we didn't carry a satellite um, uh communicator. And so that was sort of our other way of making it safe. And so um, practicing ahead of time is another really good thing to do with your family. Um, practice with the gear you expect to use. Practice it with your kids as age appropriate. You know, some of the older kids might be able to start a stove. Some of the younger kids might be able to help with zippers and, and unpacking things. And so um, we practiced a lot with our kids near our home um, at local state parks. And we took the, we have a canoe, we took that out to paddle. And so we practiced, practiced, practiced. And I think that's a good, um, a, another layer of keeping things safe. Mm, I love that. You are actually the first person I've met who has, has mentioned that. And I think that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't you practice? What I love is is I hear that you did a lot of of preparation to stay safe, right? Because safety is certainly 
um, a concern when you've got little kids. I'm curious, what were some things that over the years have come on your radar that weren't on your radar when you started in terms of safety concerns? That weren't on my radar. Well, I feel like I, we got better at reading the weather. Um, certainly adding in the satellite communicator uh, was an additional thing that we did. Um, uh, swimming, like boating accidents. So we always wear our life jackets um, regardless of the conditions and regardless of people's um, swimming abilities. Um, as a wilderness guide, that's a big thing that's on my radar. And with our groups or with my family groups, whether I go with friends or us, we always wear life jackets. We always talk about um, safety in the boats, um, safety on the portage trails that you cross because you're carrying gear, um, heavy gear, heavy canoes. So things that could easily happen like sprained ankles, that sort of thing. So take your time. Um, uh Assess your fitness levels, honestly. Um, a lot of people probably um, overcommit to their trip as far as what they think they can do as far as their abilities go. And I always say, it's like, go conservative. You know, hopefully it feels easy enough that you want to do it again. And, um, and so, and then just safety around camp, you know, keeping any sharp ob objects put away, making sure everybody actually knows how to use those things properly um, axes and saws and, and those sort of things. Cause those are the more like common issues or injuries you could have with kids or without kids. And then around water, you know, we spent time, um, uh, bringing our kids to swimming classes and I wouldn't like to totally trust them a hundred percent, but it gave us another layer of, they understand how to swim. They have a respect for the water. They know they need to put their life jackets on. And that sort of stuff helps, especially with young kids. So now that you are out as a guide, right? So you do this with other families. Um, I love that you have the perspective to, to sort of see where the common issues might be. And I think it's really interesting that you hit on fitness. And, and I, maybe right now I'm super tuned into that in my own life. But, um, and just to tell a, a quick story before I ask you, you know, a question, um, you know, my, my wife and I spent over a decade in Arizona and she was a professional ballet dancer and she was extremely fit, although in some very like specific ways, mm -hmm. uh, I was extremely unfit when she was practicing ballet as a kid, I was practicing the tuba. Um, <laughs> so it was just, you know, a different lifestyle. Um, but we, you know, when we were younger, we would go hike in and out of the Grand Canyon and mm -hmm. it would be grueling and miserable, mm -hmm. but we could do it. And just mm -hmm. last month we flew up, we met some friends and we did a rim to rim hike. And for the last three years, both my wife and I have been like training regularly, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the mornings with a really great trainer. Who's also our neighbor. Um, but really focusing on like all around fitness, especially, uh, you know, strength in some of the, the areas that people focus on less, right. To make sure that you've got stability mm -hmm. and, and, um, you can move well. And I'll tell you the 24 miles that we did was 
I don't want to say it was a breeze, but like it was a lot, like very humbly, it was a lot easier than I would have ever expected because yeah. we had that mm-hmm. fitness as a baseline. So, you know, yes. so yeah, so speak to, speak to fitness in the boundary waters a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, I certainly see a lot of people that get off the couch and go, and that's not necessarily bad or wrong. Um, I just always say you're going to enjoy it a lot more if you have trained a little bit, um, whether it's you do some weekly walks around your neighborhood, um, especially with a pack. Um, When um, I'm leading groups, I often encourage sort of a progressive training plan. So you're slowly building up to carrying heavier and heavier weight. Um, Because unless you're a little kid, you're probably going to be carrying a 40 to 50 pound pack and a 40 to 50 pound canoe. And so as you saw with your Grand Canyon journey, you're going to enjoy it a lot more and it's going to feel a lot easier if you train for it. So I've always trained for my adventures. Um, I'm an avid backpacker as well. I do a lot of trail running and especially as I age because I'm older now, um, I want my body to last longer. I want to be able to do these adventures for a long time. So in my mind, I am training for the next decade. And so that means I'm three or four times a week doing something, strength training, um, and walking, running, that sort of thing. The movement is going to is gonna also help you minimize your chances of injury, so you're less likely to get injured if you are more trained. Um, and if you're going into the boundary waters, you want to plan a trip that fits the skills and the fitness of your group. So you see a lot of people that kind of blow it up um, because they didn't train or prepare, and so they struggle, they have a harder time. Um, they're more likely to get injured. And I see that. I see the struggles. And I'm like, ah, if you just did a little bit each week and it doesn't have to be a crazy training plan, I do a bit more because I'm guiding. And so that means I'm carrying a lot more um, gear. And I also want to feel good. But yeah, any little bit's going to help starting to go on some walks with your kiddos, um, having them carry a small pack, Obviously, you're not going to load them down with a lot of weight, but kids can carry um, some weight. And so our kids would um, carry basically their school packs and their pajamas and some rain gear and a stuffed animal and some other items um, that they would always carry when we went on Boundary Waters trips. And then by the time they were 12, they were able to paddle canoes um, short distances. And then... um, Probably 14, they were carrying the, the same packs we were carrying, the, the heavy packs over short portages. But by then, too, we were also kind of managing, like, distances and that sort of thing. So you're you're considering your distances, the, the challenge of the route you're taking. Um, and I sort of got off on a tangent there. But, um, you know, the kids can carry a little bit, too. So everybody in the group, you're kind of considering their skills and abilities. And so that will sort of make or break how great of a trip you experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that you said you can enjoy it more. I, th- I think the word that my wife and I kept coming back to after our trip was that it let us be present. Yes. Um, totally. hundred percent. Right? right. Cause if you're in your pain cave the whole time, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, maybe you feel like you accomplished something, but you didn't really experience much. So, 
I mean, thinking about that, so I've, uh, there are going to be a lot of people listening who are actually not from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in addition to that, there are going to be a lot of people listening who've never been to the boundary waters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, m- make the case that it's worth being present. Like what are, what are some of the more magical things that you can experience out there? Yeah. So the boundary waters is a unique wilderness. It's one of the few places in the United States where travel is predominantly by canoe. Um, and that's super unique. It's, it's really unusual. And, um, and especially for the upper Midwest, it's a gorgeous destination and it's a million acres that you can explore where you're not going to see evidence of any civilization. So no houses, um, no signage. Um, and so it truly feels wild and remote and rugged. And you, you can ha- create a trip that's either pretty easy where you base camp and stay in the same place. You can create a trip that's challenging where you're out there for a couple of weeks and doing, you know, a hundred or more miles and it borders, um, right along Canada and the, on the Canadian side is Quetico Provincial Park, which is another million acre canoeing destination. So you have these two, um, amazing wildernesses that are side by side, Um, There's an international agreement that allows citizens of both countries to paddle those border waters and to use those border portages so you can get right up alongside Canada. And then it's also designated as an international dark sky location. And so the nighttime views are spectacular. Um, It's a really interesting place to explore year round. So if you're interested in winter camping or you want to hit it during the shoulder seasons, um, those are times of real solitude where you're not going to see a lot of people. Um, Winter is when I most see um, like wolves, moose, deer, um, and the animals are a little more active because it's quieter. Um, there's a huge amount of waterfowl in the Boundary Waters. The loon is kind of the one that's most familiar to people. It's got a really unique call. And then the history of the Boundary Waters is really fascinating, too. There's evidence of um, inhabitants as far back as 10,000 years ago um, where they have found projectile points um, and um quarries, if you will, um, by the first people who lived there. And then from that time forward, you have the history of the Ojibwe and Sioux, the Anishinaabe people who call that area home and left evidence through um, pictographs um, that you can see when you're in in the wild. And then there's a whole nother layer of history with logging um, and French fur trade history um, that that there's a lot of historical routes right along the border. And some of those portages probably have been used for thousands of years. So you layer all of that in all the way up to current usage that um, we are using it now recreationally. And if you want solitude, and in my opinion, um, the best campsites in the upper Midwest, I think the Boundary Waters is the place to go. That's awesome. And you, all right. So you mentioned something that I am I'm very personally curious about, um, because this is the first year I haven't heard this phrase and thought that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, and I'm actually tempted to do it, which is winter camping. <laughs> yeah. Like what is winter camping? Yeah. So winter camping can occur in many ways. 
Um, some people winter camp just using the tents that they own, um, that they use in the summer, and they go somewhere and they set it up at a state park or a national forest, and you winter camp. So um, you're you're not going to have another heat source other than your body or maybe some chemical hand warmers or boiled water. Um, the kind of winter camping I like to do, and I've kind of done all of it, um, is to um, camp using a hot tent. And a hot tent is a large canvas tent that's heated with a small wood stove. And when we go winter camping in the Boundary Waters, we usually um, put all of our gear on a sled or a toboggan and um, haul it in a short distance, anywhere from three to five miles. We set up the large canvas tent. We spend quite a bit of time um, gathering firewood, so chopping, sawing, that sort of thing. That probably takes up the most time because you want to be warm. And then um, we spend a few days exploring, and we usually do that either with snowshoes or backcountry skis. And the backcountry skis that we use are kind of wide and short. So they're kind of a combination of a snowshoe and a cross-country ski. And they work great because they have what we call universal binding. And that means um, any winter boot will fit into that binding. And a lot of the outfitters up there rent those style of skis. And so we like those because they float nicely over snow because you can any have anywhere from two to four feet of snow in northern Minnesota. And so um, you can spend the days exploring, um, eating, having campfires, looking at the stars, you know, doing photography, seeking wildlife, that sort of thing. Some people like to ice fish. And then um, the other kinds of winter camping I do, especially when I'm guiding, I will um, hammock. And so my group will be inside tents all nice and toasty and I will be outside hammocking. And so I have a hammock system that's very warm and protected. Um, I don't have to worry about what's underneath me so I don't need to worry if the ground is even or flat. Um, and then sometimes too on really nice nights we'll even camp out on the ice. So we'll lay out like um, waterproofed uh, tarp or in waxed canvas and we'll literally um, lay our bags out under the stars and that's really fun to do as well. That's amazing. Um, I think I was willing to do the first part of what you said. I don't think I'm ready to be out on the You need the heat. <laughs> yeah, I need some heat still. Um, and that's totally yeah. okay. That's the beauty of it. There's something kind of for any everybody and kind of as you get more comfortable, then you can get more adventurous. <laughs> but it, I mean, it really sounds amazing. Um, yeah, and I think... You know, I I don't know. I'll, I'm I'm gonna pivot here quickly just because I think sure. about I, I think about the winter and I'm like that in and of itself is like a weird experience. But I always, whenever I'm talking to people about the Boundary Waters, I've had the weirdest experiences of my life in the Boundary Waters, <laughs> the most amazing experiences and the weirdest ones. And I'll tell you, <laughs> like I, I legitimately with six other people saw what we can only describe as a UFO out in the Boundary <laughs> Waters. Um, and so we were- describe it, this. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and it was, it was the trippiest day. Like it was so- I don't know, just so humbling and you felt so small. So earlier in the morning, we had gone to see um, some pictographs on the cliff face. So you had mentioned pictographs, right? There are, um, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, pictographs are when people draw 
usually ancient peoples, right, draw on rocks. Um, they're not being carved into rocks. They're not petroglyphs. Mm -hmm. They're pictographs. So mm -hmm. these are like 10,000-year-old drawings. And how do you know they're 10,000 years old? Well, because they're pictures of like woolly mammoths. Um, and so we, we saw that that day and you just mm -hmm. feel so small. And at the same time, you're looking at these pictures of people in canoes doing exactly what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. forever ago. And then I think at one point in the day we went fishing and I caught a Northern that had like something had ripped a chunk of its back out and it was like a big wow. fish. And I'm thinking like, what the heck is in this lake? Like, are we going to die? <laughs> and then at night, you know, you, you have to stay up during the summer. You have to stay up pretty late to see the stars just because it sets, um, the sun sets so late, but we were up at like 11 <laughs> o'clock at night and we're laying there seeing the stars, a bunch of us. And you could see different kinds of satellites. You could see stationary satellites, you know, orbiting satellites. Um, and then like in the clouds, we see this, this light flying and like it would go straight and stop and then go like 90 degrees the other way and like doing all these really weird maneuvers. And then it just, it was like someone turned the lights off. It just disappeared. So crazy. <laughs> right. So I say all that. I mean, that's my story, but you've been out there so much. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm interested in some of your stories. Like what's, what's the craziest thing that you've experienced when you've been out there? Oh gosh, the craziest thing. Um, you know, and I am fair. I will take a lot of, um, uh, some personal risks when I'm doing my own adventures, <laughs> but when I'm with other people, I, I try not to do too many risks, but the craziest thing I have, I'm, I'm sad to say I've not seen Sasquatch. Um, I, although we've seen some curious, um, bits of fur laying around, um, that we couldn't quite identify. Something probably got killed. Um, but, oh, craziest thing. Uh, I've had some really doozy storms, which maybe aren't as exciting, but stuff where when you're outside and you experience nature without like a place to go, like you don't have a basement, you don't have a, you know, anywhere to hide. Um, that is, those are pretty uh, powerful especially when you're dealing with like, I've seen trees fall and that sort of thing. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, I can't think of anything like super crazy. I'm sorry to say in like 25 years, um, you know, uh, interesting night sounds, things screaming in the night. I'm sure there's definitely like, you know, there's links up there and Fox. And so I know they have otherworldly screams. So it's not unusual to wake up to some serious screaming. And um, I'm embarrassed to say that I have been known to bark at it because <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what to do. I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, my, my husband is sound asleep. I'm, I'm trying to wake him up and he won't wake up. And I'm like, you hear this otherworldly scream? And <clears throat> so I barked at it. That was my solution, which is <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. So I don't know that I would advise that because I'd probably draw it in, but. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> um, well, all right. So maybe nothing too crazy, but like, what are some of the more memorable things you've had, especially with your, your kids, you know? Oh, we've had so many good memorable things, memorable things with the kids. Um, we like to incorporate a lot of like fun activities with them. Um, one thing I do love that I will say as a side note is, um, you don't really have to bring a ton for kids. They naturally, um, start to create, um, imaginative things 
using whatever they have around them. You, as you know, like rocks and sticks and water, those are all great sources of entertainment for them. And so um, that's really fun to see with kids. But as they got to be a little bit older, um, especially their tweens, teen years, we started doing contests. So we would set up like a whole um, rock bowling um, game using rocks, gathering rocks, and then everybody, there's a, it's like a contest. And then the other thing we would do is have, um, I don't know what you would call it, but basically knock the person out of the canoe. And so on a nice sunny, warm day, they get on either end of the canoe and um, try to knock the other kid off. So they're out there in the like the lake, not too far away with their life jackets on, trying to knock each other off. And we always would surprise them like with candy and treats that they didn't normally get too much in real life. So like a, a thing of Rolos or something like that or Tootsie Pops. And whoever knocks the person off the canoe wins a treat. And so things like that are, are super fun for kids. Um, and so I think of those times. I remember distinctly the first time that we had four kids that were all like um, 14 to 16. And we always, um, we often brought friends with, like our friends' kids would come because our kids enjoyed their time more if they had a friend along. So it wasn't unusual for us to have a couple extra kids that weren't ours with. And um, they would go out. I remember distinctly one evening, um, my friend and I, um, I went, I did a lot of boundary waters trips with my friend. Um, cause as moms, we were stay at home moms, but we had flexible jobs. And so she and I would take our kids, um, to the boundary waters once or twice a year. And one evening we're sitting by the fire and the four older kids took the canoes out into the water with headlamps and, and, and floated away to some rock that was kind of in our bay. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, yes, we did it. We got to the point where they can do this themselves. And that was such like a joyful feeling because they were to the point where they could set up camp. They knew how to cook. They knew how to light a fire. They knew how to paddle and portage and they could be trusted to go explore. And it was like such an exciting moment that we didn't have to like help them as much anymore. And I, that was really distinctive for me. That's awesome. Sorry. How, how old were they again when they did that? They were about, uh, I think like 13 through 15, somewhere in there, mid teens, early mid teens. Very cool. Yeah. We, we were chatting earlier. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned my kids are, are younger, but your kids are, you know, a little bit older now. So there's, you have a ton of wisdom, which I very much appreciate. Um, and I mean, I know, I know it's your business now uh, yeah. as well, but when we, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is speak to someone like me who's thinking, actually, literally you can speak to me because we're planning this right now. <laughs> uh, speak to someone like me who is thinking about going, they've got young kids. It's kind of the first time doing this with young kids. What kinds of things should we be thinking about and preparing? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, you have a ton of resources now with the internet, right? There's loads of information out there. In some ways, it's almost too much. It can be overwhelming. Like you can truly get in the weeds between like social media, um, online reports, videos, that sort of thing. They are helpful. And I always say, um, take those with a grain of salt and test for yourself what works for your family. So um, kind of like I mentioned earlier, um, 
start local, start getting the kinks worked out near home, whether it's literally your backyard, a local state park. Those are great ways to start getting your kids and your family accustomed to the challenges of going on a Boundary Waters trip because it is physical, even if you don't do a lot. Um, and then um, be flexible. Uh, flexibility, as you probably know, having young kids is key. So um, maybe it means you're going to base camp and that means you're going to stay at the same campsite. The Boundary Waters allows you to camp anywhere. They have designated campsites, but you can camp at any of them. So you literally could change a campsite every single night. But as you can imagine, that requires packing everything up, paddling to a site, resetting it all up. So for families, it might be easiest to base camp, stay in the same place, explore from there, kind of get the feel and the lay of the land. Um, and you don't even have to be a really strong navigator. There are um, campsites on lakes at entry points. So the Boundary Waters has a lot of entry points to choose from. Um, and in January, those permits um, become available to people. So if you're thinking of going to the Boundary Waters, uh, you want to think about where you want to go. Do you want to go on the eastern side of the wilderness? Do you want to go on the western side? And then from there, pick an entry point. And I would say you kind of can't go wrong your first time around. Just get that figured out. And then um, there's lakes that you literally can get the first lake you get on has campsites. So if you're nervous about the whole navigational piece of it, you can just stay on that first lake because the odds are pretty low that you're going to get lost. Um, and so, um, and then two, another thing is if you want to learn more navigational skills, I started by um, joining the Minnesota Orienteering Club and I wanted to learn how to navigate using a map and compass some people try to navigate using GPS, and there isn't like an app out there yet for the Boundary Waters, right? So it's not as ideal. Um, GPS is helpful for you discovering where you are located, but it's not necessarily super helpful for navigation. So I encourage learning how to use a map and compass. It's actually a super fun activity. Um, Lake Elmo which is in Minnesota, is a park that has a permanent orienteering course so you can practice. Um, I just kept practicing and making mistakes and kept practicing and making mistakes. But I find it's actually a really enjoyable activity that even young kids can learn. Um, and so I kind of, um, so that's, that's a cool thing. Um, and then involve your kids in the planning. So we talk to the kids about what foods do you want to eat and they would help us pack. And I've pictures of our kids inside our packs goofing around while we're packing. And so if they are involved in the planning, they're going to be more game to be cooperative and um, cooperative participants on your trip. And then we allowed for a lot of creativity. So we brought like little blank journals, um, colored pencils along, anything that sort of incites fun, games. We have um, books that we have been reading for years that they still like us to read to them, um, that we gather in the tent at night and we all read a chapter um, from a book. So that sort of thing. So good snacks, try some dehydrated meals out with your family before you leave. You could have those for dinner one night and see how, how, how everybody likes it. And then give them chances to try paddling and navigating and doing all of the things that you do in camp according to their age. So our, before we left, before we leave town, 
Um, we have a Boundary Waters 101 day in our backyard, so we practice setting up the tents with the kids, lighting the stoves, um, testing the gear. It's a good time to look at your gear and make sure it's all working because there's nothing worse than getting up there and realizing you forgot something critical, um, like your tent poles or something like that. And so involve the kids as much as you can according to their ages. And so we let them paddle even though they were terrible for a long time. And um, we even had people who napped in the bottom of the boat. So we put a yoga mat down in the bottom of the boat and our two-year-old would nap there. So, And then my favorite piece of gear for kids, I would say, is hammocks. Hammocks are like so much fun for everybody. And they can be used as swings. They can sit in there and read. So lots and lots of options <clears throat> for making it more comfortable that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. So now you do, you do a lot of things and I, I, we didn't even cover all of them. I, I know you, you know, you guide, right? You, um, mm-hmm. you host webinars on this, you teach first aid classes, you yep. do a ton of things. So if someone is not feeling, you know, comfortable but they, they really want to get out into the outdoors. I, I know you have great resources for the outdoors in general, um, but especially for the Boundary Waters, where can mm-hmm. people go to find out more about you and, and you know, enlist your fantastic services? Yeah, so you can certainly follow me on all the social channels at Soka Outdoors. Um, I write when I have time and when I'm in town, I try to write articles and do webinars on the basics of getting into these things. Um, and there's a lot of resources out there on doing the Boundary Waters. I would say the biggest thing is to start getting comfortable just camping. If that's newer or less familiar to you, get comfortable camping wherever it is that you live. And um, start renting gear, borrowing gear, and slowly buying gear. I always say try stuff out before you buy a lot of the outfitters or mostly outfitters in northern Minnesota will rent you gear. So when we first started, um, we had some of our own gear and then we rented some from an outfitter. So you can kind of a la carte that, which is really nice because some people own everything except the canoe. And so they just need to rent a canoe. Um, but yeah, you can totally um, follow me on social channels, on, on Instagram. I'm a little bit on YouTube. Um, and I have, uh, you can go to soakoutdoors.com is kind of where I list all my classes and resources. And I'm always happy to chat with me or uh, chat with me. I'm always happy to chat with, um, anybody who wants to connect, you know, feel free to shoot me an email. If you have questions, I am super happy to help. Like I want to demystify things for people. I want people to feel like they can ask questions and I have people that regularly come back to me and ask questions as they're making plans for their trips and I will help help you in any way I can to make, um, your experience a successful one up there. Yeah. Well, Pam, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been really fun and good luck to everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs>